I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want to take a moment to tell you about a product that I first discovered last year and has quickly become a staple in my daily routine. It's called Sniff. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm big on smelling good, but finding a signature scent can be difficult. Enter Sniff, a genderless and cruelty-free line of scents made with high-quality ingredients designed to perform with staying power. They offer a wide range of scents for all genders and all occasions. How to find the right scent? I don't know about you, but I've become accustomed to doing just about everything from the couch, so I'm big on Sniff's try-before-you-buy kits, which allow you to test drive a scent before fully committing. Every purchase comes with a full-size bottle and a mini sample bottle, the latter of which is perfect for travel. Keep and pay for what you love, return the rest with free shipping and returns. And since I want you to be fully in on what's what, I highly recommend the brand's Sweet Ash Scent. It's a silky blend of moss, woods, and fir balsam, balanced by hints of tonka and black vanilla bean. In addition to fragrance, Sniff also offers a line of candles, of which the Instant Karma is my personal fave. The lovely folks at Sniff are offering Shut Up Evan listeners 20% off your order with the code EVAN20. All of Sniff's fragrances, including Sweet Ash, are typically 65, but with our special offer code, Evan20, you can get it now for 52. Visit sniff.co, that's S-N-I-F dot C-O, and enter promo code Evan20 at checkout. What are you waiting for? Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up! Is it okay if I just ask? Shut shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just? Shut up, Evan. I didn't even say anything. Hi, good people. It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up, Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. And we are here today to talk briefly about the Met Gala. When I saw you on the carpet, I was like, oh, slay. I swear, I swear, oh, big slay. Wait, like big slay? Yeah, big slay. You're killing it. Stop it, it. girl. I love your look. I say briefly because I want to get to today's interview quickly because I'm so excited about it and excited for you all to hear it. But we should touch down on the Met Gala because I was there and some shit went down. And you know me, I love a recap. So I was doing a little bit of preliminary research, um, not necessarily for this podcast, but basically when I say research, sometimes I just go on these deep dives in the hope of, you know, learning more about any given topic. And the fun thing about the Met Gala is there's so much research to be done, both in the history of the Met Gala and the changes that have happened year to year, and then also just the looks, right? And you have to do some digging because though we've seen a lot of images from the last decade of Met Galas, The Met Galas of the 70s and 80s were less chronicled because they were less for the public. 
So you have to dig more. And I don't know about you, but I always find any research that requires digging, I find to be so much more gratifying. Like when I was working on the Buffy book, anytime I had to go to a library to, you know, gain uh, intel, I was always like, yes, like I worked for this information. I'm also particularly fascinated by any part of history that predates the internet of which you don't have the same, um, I was going to say paper trail, but it's literally not paper, the same internet trail. You know what I mean? So I like the fact that the Met Gala started in 73. It'll be 50 next year, but it kind of has that the last 25 years have been a lot better documented than the first 25 years. And really it's only the last 10 years that have really, really been documented. But going back to that research, I was kind of looking at the sponsors over time, right? Because the sponsor for the last two Met Galas, both 2022s and 2021s, were Instagram. You've heard of that app. And before that, the last couple of years, we've had a lot of, you know, the brands that you might expect. In the canceled 2020 Met Gala, it was supposed to be Louis Vuitton. 2019, Gucci. 2018, Versace. 2017, H&M and Maison Valentino. Then we also have some tech companies, right? 2016, Apple, 2015, Yahoo, and I believe it was in uh, 2012, Amazon. But then if you go back to the beginning, the, the very first Met Gala, 1973, who was the sponsor? Oh, it was the government of Spain. This just to say that this event has changed so significantly. I think it used to be, not I think, it used to be much more of an inside inside the world of fashion event. I mean, the Met Gala serves a very real function, right? Which is that of raising funds for the Costume Institute of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Hold on, let me research this. And the part of this that I find the most fascinating is the Costume Institute is the only one of the Met's curatorial departments that has to fund itself. So when you think about the fact that these tickets are $35,000 a piece or tables can be ranging from $200,000 to $300,000, yes, it is excessive, but it also serves a fundamental purpose, which is that in order to preserve fashion history, funds are needed. I don't know why this is the way it is. I'm sure I could find out, and I'm sure some of you listening might know, but I do find that really fascinating. On the one hand, I'm kind of like, well... Why does fashion have to be the one sort of department that's not given the funds that others are? But on the other hand, I'm like, well, fashion is also a multi-billion dollar industry. So if they have to drop a few million into the history of it, into the preservation of its history, so be it. So I got to go this year. It was my second time going. I was so very excited and also so very nervous. But I got to interview the legendary Christine Baranski, who was attending for the very first time. It also happened to be her 70th birthday. And there was something that she said to me that did not make it into my final piece, but I wanted to read it because I thought it was so significant. I asked her if she was feeling nervous about going because I was feeling nervous and I just wanted to know, like, is that a common feeling or <laughs> is that unique to me? And this is what she said. She said, quote, getting too nervous doesn't actually work in your favor as a performer or as a presenter, presenter or, or somebody who's going to face a lot of people and press. I remember having that feeling going to the Mamma Mia premiere of Mamma Mia 2, and it was at this enormous stadium. Was it Wembley Stadium? And there were just thousands of people. And I remember feeling very nervous. And then I just coaxed myself into a very calm, centered place. Just saying, just let light, just 
beautiful light pour out of you and be calm and centered. And then that's going to be more powerful than being giddy and excited and, you know, and, um, I'd like to think that over the years of my performing career, I've learned to make friends with my fear or my nerves. End quote. And all quotes. What quote could outdo that? I love that idea. First of all, I want to let warm light pour out of me. I, that is just, she didn't say warm. Okay. Let me just say, I want to let beautiful light pour out of me. That just, uh, yeah, why not? Everyone should be afforded that opportunity. But basically what she's saying is that like, we are in control of our nerves. And I know sometimes that's not the case for everybody, but I like to believe that thought pattern is one that can do good for us if we try it out, right? There's no use in trying it. I'm not saying it will work for everybody, but I tried to really channel my inner Christine Baranski as I walked in. I just was thinking, you know, I am here. I have a job to do. I need to get that job done. And being nervous isn't going to really do anything for me. So I had a great time. I really had such a nice time. I'm so glad I got to be there. I was reminded of the fact that Yes, this is a job, um, but I also love to do it. I like just being around famous people. It makes me so happy. It energizes me. It was fun to see people that I'm, you know, fortunate enough to call friends now. And in what, let me say, when I attended in 2018, I attended with Mike.com. And I will be honest, I could not get a single interview. I remember having to call my boss afterwards and say, hey, had a really nice time. Not a single person came and stopped to speak with me. So then I had to go onto the carpet. I remember this after everybody had gone inside and I filmed a video being like, hi, I'm Evan Ross Katz. I'm here at the Met Gala where I'm going to take you inside. And then in the final video, we just cut to, you know, B-roll of celebrities walking the carpet because that's all we got. So this time, because, because the bar had been set so low for me, I, I knew that I was going to come away with better returns, or rather I was hopeful. And I got to have so many cool interactions. Chris, who are you most excited to see? I can't. I talked to Michelle Yeoh. Do you have any reaction to Andrew Garfield wearing the hot dog oh fingers? <laughs> talked to Glenn Close. I don't feel like I'm being contained by the clothes. I feel like he's the list goes on and on. Manu Rios, Jody Turner-Smith, Cynthia Arrivo. I mean, it was so exciting to not only be talking to so many people who I'm invigorated by, but in such quick succession. I mean, you look down and then you look up and there's Hillary Clinton. And then you look down and you look up and there's some other celebrity that you revere or in some cases that you are fearful of, like an Elon Musk, for instance. Why was he there? I don't get it. I mean, I do get it, but I don't think he should have been there. But needless to say... I had a great time. I'm really, really glad that I soaked it all in and remained present. And I think that in addition to Christine, that is something that our guest today, Molly Shannon, really helped instill in me. This idea that like, this is the arts, baby. That's something that she says. You'll hear that in a few minutes in the interview. And I I, I keep coming back to that quote because I'm like, we are in it. We are living it. You got to bring it. And so I will bring it. And so... I had a good time. I was exhausted the next day, but like, it's such a great feeling to be exhausted when you've worked your ass off. And that's what I did. So look, a lot's been said about the Met Gala. You can read all about it. I have thoughts about the fashions. They're not really worth your time or mine. I will say this though, briefly, 
This idea that celebrities need to dress on theme is a made up concept. I think it really, if I were to like pinpoint it, it goes back to the 2004 gala, which uh, was Dangerous Liaisons, Fashion and Furniture in the 18th Century. And I really would credit model Amber Valletta with really sort of bringing out in so many people this idea that like, hey, this is a themed affair. You should dress on theme, which was her desire and <laughs> quite effective at that. I also think that Rihanna, obviously, we had the 2015 China Through the Looking Glass um, theme. And I think Rihanna with that gorgeous guope yellow dress that, I mean, for many people was a cultural reset, myself included. I think that also added to this idea of like, oh, you're going to go to the Met Gala. You should adhere to the theme in your dress. But that's not actually the purpose of the theme. So I just don't think that celebrities have any obligation or often desire to dress on the theme. So listen, I'm someone that has written those articles in the past being like, so-and-so ignored the theme. But older me, air quotes wiser me, is kind of like, who cares? Like everyone for the most part looked glamorous. And that's ultimately what this event is about. So Fuck the theme. I feel like a lot of fans don't get the theme because they think like it's like gilded. It's supposed to be like, like an era, but gilded is gold, it's regal. It could be any era from it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I love it. Fuck the theme. Okay, in fairness, the event is actually about raising millions of dollars for the Costume Institute, but you get what I mean. Before we get to our interview, I did want to touch down briefly uh, because we got our first interview with Kim Cattrall talking about her decision not to return for and just like that i encourage people to seek it out it's a long-form interview that she did in variety with uh journalist ramin satuta who also wrote uh the view book um the, the behind the scenes of the view which is uh it is fascinating the view book i wanted more from it i'll be honest but it really it, they got a lot from these ladies i can never get enough but anyway this interview I found really fascinating because something, well, for a lot of reasons, but one thing Kim said um, was that she'd felt bullied by the fans. And I, I don't know if that was bullied for not coming back. I don't know if that was, you know, bullied about, I'm not sure what it was about, but it was a perspective that I hadn't considered before. And I just, I want Kim on this podcast so bad. I want to drown Kim in love because... I, along with so many people, love her. And I think it's unfortunate that, you know, we'd heard about her negative experiences from her perspective on the set of Sex and the City, but I haven't heard her until this interview talk about the negative experiences with the fans. And that's a fucking bummer, I have to say. She deserves nothing but love. And from my perspective, you know, we, we love that performance so much and we love her. And obviously we're bummed that she's not a part of it and just like that. But I think, I guess I can only speak for myself here, but like, obviously we respect her decision. She feels how she feels. And, and thankfully her career is continuing on. She's got How I Met Your Father and the upcoming Queer as Folk reimagining. I mean, life is good for Kim. So I encourage people to seek out this interview. She... It's quite shady throughout it, but I, I really don't think that's the intention whatsoever. I think she's just one of those uh, people who, like, the things that they say have a particular bite to them if you choose to hear it. But I, I, I don't necessarily think that was the intent, but... Um, Love Kim. Love Kim. Love SJ. Love all the women of Sex and the City. And, you know, continue to hope for 
a reconciliation. But I do have to say I am aligned with Kim that the planned plot for the third film, which was going to see Samantha sleeping with uh, Miranda's son, Brady, is just so cringe. And I'm really glad that we didn't have to see that. Um, yeah, I'll say that. Anyway, enough about that. I want to get right to our interview. Just a little bit of context because I'm not sure it's in the interview itself. Molly Shannon's great book, Hello, Molly!, is not what many people might have expected from a celebrity memoir. So Molly, when she was four years old, was in a car crash. The result of that car crash was the death of her mother, her sister, and her cousin. And her father, who was driving the car at the time, sustained injuries from that accident that were with him for the rest of his life. It is a... There's no book quite like it, so I, I hate describing it, to be honest with you, but it's just really, um, it's a must read, and it explores a side of celebrity that I don't think you often get before, and I think Molly is just so, she has this access to her feelings that I find so remarkable, and at the same time also attainable. Like, there's a lot of, I, I, I learn from Molly that I actually feel like I can take into my own life and how I live my life, and... I don't know. You'll hear it all. I could describe it right now, but let's just get right to it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have the fabulous Molly Shannon. Shut up, Evan. She is an Emmy-nominated and Independent Spirit Award-winning actress, comedian, and author, beloved by audiences for her six-season run on Saturday Night Live from 1995 to 2001. You likely remember one, if not all, of her famous characters, including Mary Catherine Gallagher, Sally O'Malley, and my personal favorite, Terry Rilato of Sweaty Balls fame. Her television credits include Twin Peaks, In Living Color, Sister Sister, Ellen, Seinfeld, Will and Grace, Sex and the City, Scrubs, American Dad, 30 Rock, Kath and Kim, Glee, Enlightened, Divorce, the White Lotus, and dozens of other credits we merely don't have time to list off. She is currently starring on two series, HBO Max's The Other Two and the new Showtime series I Love That For You. Her film credits include A Night at the Roxbury, Analyze This, Never Been Kissed, Superstar, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Wet Hot American Summer, Serendipity, Marie Antoinette, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, Year of the Devil, Bad Teacher, Life After Beth, Other People, Promising Young Woman, and Hotel Transylvania 1, 2, 3, and 4. She also, quite memorably, appears in the music video for the Katy Perry, Nicki Minaj, somewhat bop, Swish Swish. She is the author of the memoir, Hello Molly, a frank and heartfelt look at how tragedy affected both her life and the life of her father. If I were to summarize the book, I would say it's a look at the triumph of the human spirit over the human condition. This interview is deeply important to me, as is this human being. She has profoundly changed my worldview with her wisdom and insight and zest for life. She is the realest of the real deals. She is the triumphant Molly Shannon. <laughs> Molly! How are you? I couldn't be more excited and delighted in all the words. I have been looking forward to this for months. 
Oh my God, I'm so excited. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. And I just want to say that before we begin taking a page from your memoir, I'm going to do my best to be present and in the moment and to be alive throughout this interview because you have inspired and instilled that in me. It's something I'll take away from this book beyond so much about I learned about you. I will take away that from this. I will be more alive. I love that you read the book. Thank you for reading it. I read the book twice um, because I felt like I had to. I didn't want it to end. And then I thought, well, I could just read it again. And so I did. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Of course. So first of all, I want to congratulate you on your New York Times best-selling memoir, Hello, Molly. You have this book. You had The White Lotus last year. You have two shows currently on the air, HBO Max's The Other Two and the Showtime series I Love That For You. And you have the Zach Braff film A Good Person coming out this fall, which sees you starring opposite Morgan Freeman and Florence Pugh. I'm wondering if you feel a certain momentum at this moment in time. I do, Evan. I feel very grateful because I feel like I worked really hard to like, you know, get the pieces in place. And it's interesting how it can work where everything, sometimes everything's kind of gels and starts to happen at the same moment. I can't believe it. I mean, as you can see, I really struggled hard and hustled and, you know, I come from the world <laughs> of restaurants and waiting tables. And I still dream sometimes that I'm a waitress. I think I appreciate opportunity and I don't take it for granted because I work so hard to get it. What's it been like for you making the rounds, telling these stories and hearing from people their reaction to your story? It's one thing to tell such a personal story. That's what memoir is. But I imagine people come up to you with maybe similar stories or stories that they feel are similar, experiences that they've had that you know, they sort of um, are telegraphing onto yours. Has that begun to happen? I think what I try to do is not take on people's reactions because I know my truth. And I think when you write a book and you are vulnerable like that, you have to also just let it go too. And people are gonna, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a loaded topic and people are gonna have different thoughts about it. And, um, but I was gonna say too, I don't mind being real. Sometimes it's hard, you know, doing talk shows where you have to think of funny bits. That can be hard too, because sometimes I run out of stories and I don't find that so easy either. So I kind of, John C. Riley's a good friend of mine. He actually did the, did the live event in LA last night. And he said once in an interview, he goes, Molly can be deadly serious. And I was like, that's correct. So I don't mind being very serious and genuine. I almost find it easier than having to like, go on a talk show and get a quick laugh. That's hard. You've been telling a lot of stories from the book during your talk show rounds. And I, I bring this up because I interviewed Harvey Firestein recently, who also wrote a memoir that just came out. And when we did the interview and I would bring up certain, you know, stories from the book, he would get really angry with me. And he would say, you know, people, you need to stop telling that story. People need to buy the book and read it. But what I really enjoyed actually about you sharing so many of these stories on the talk show circuit was when I was reading the book, I could then hear you telling the story. For instance, I got to the chapter, small parts. Giving, giving me advice, he said, small parts. And we were like, uh-huh, small parts, trying to make out what he was saying. Then he took another inhale of oxygen. And then he said, in movies. And we were like, yes, in movies. And then he said, like, analyze this. And we were like, like, analyze this. And then he died. And I heard that. you saying 
that story from your time on Fresh Air. I'm wondering how you negotiated like which stories to tell in advance and did it ever bother you when people were asking you to share juicier bits that perhaps you might have think you might think, well, let's save that for the book. I want people to read that. I kind of asked my book publisher, I was like, is it okay now to share this? And they were like, yeah, yeah, feel free to do whatever, you know, you can go ahead. Because I didn't really know the rules. Like I thought, are you supposed to keep it under wraps and just have people read the book? But they said, no, feel free to share. But I waited till we were in, you know, book promotion time to do that. I tried not to tell those stories beforehand to launch the book. But yeah, that's a great question because I wondered about that too. I'm, I, but they said, no, feel free to tell it. And then if people want to read it too, because in my mind with Harvey Firestein, I thought I was bringing up stories that would get people excited about the book by, you know, by preempting some of these stories that, you know, you could read in depth in the book, but he didn't feel that way. So different strokes for different folks. I think you were doing the right thing because that's actually promoting the book. You're not giving any spoilers. You're getting people excited about the material in the book. I, I felt similarly, but you know, um, let me ask you this. You were very judicious in your use of the F word in the book. I believe there are like, I think I counted five, maybe six fucks in the book. And every time, and I bring this up because I would be like, wow, Molly says fuck. I'm wondering if you thought about it all, like where to place the F word and, and, and is the F word a part of your vocabulary in your everyday life? Um, yes, I lived with a roommate who I hope he's not mad at saying this for years, who swore a lot and I picked it up from him. But then I was like, oh, I gotta stop. But it's kind of fun to say. But I didn't want too many fucks in there because I feel like it can be, you know, a little easy. And so, uh, yeah, I, I did think about it and I didn't want too many, but it was funny in the movie Superstar, we were only allowed one fuck because it's, or fucking, because it was PG-13 or something. So the, the woman that plays my grandmother has one like- And when I say booga booga, you booga booga. What's booga booga mean? I don't know. But if I say it, you better fucking figure it out. And it got such a big laugh. So you have to use it judiciously and make sure you milk that fuck. Isn't it funny how much times have changed? There was Nancy Myers shared a story on Instagram recently about how her film, It's Complicated, was given an R rating because of a scene with Meryl Streep smoking a joint. And by today's standards, it's like, would that even be PG? And it's just funny things like, you know, back in the day, one fuck could change the rating. Yeah, it's so interesting, that whole system. I love the, that, that movie. I love the kitchens in her movies and the houses. Oh, aren't they great? I want more. And she just signed a contract with Netflix where she's going to be doing a new film with them. And if nothing else, as you pointed out, just the interior design opportunities alone, I'll come for that. Before we get deeper into it, let's take a quick break and check in with today's sponsor. If you were to look in my fridge right now, beneath the shelf of Topo Chico, you would find cases of Can. These are my currently in rotation batch as I keep party packs stowed away as well. So what is Can? Can is a social tonic microdose with cannabis that gives you a light and uplifted buzz, but with no hangover, fewer empty calories, all natural ingredients, and no regrets. Best of all, it tastes fucking good. So sure, I drink it for the THC CBD effects, but I also just enjoy it as a refreshment du jour. Blood orange cardamom is my favorite, but the grapefruit rosemary also slaps. For more information, including where to find it at your local dispensary and delivery options, follow at drinkcan with two N's or head to drinkcan.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-C-A-N-N.com. And we're back. You write in the book that you love chicken. I too love chicken. I'm wondering where is your favorite place to get chicken in New York City? 
Um, Poly- oh, in well, in Los well, Angeles, or wherever, or, or New York Hotel. Los Angeles, it would be, and then I'll do New York. Los Angeles is Pollo a la Brasa. It is delicious. On um, Fifth Street and south of Wilshire, it is the best chicken. Um, and then New York City, I am very picky about chicken. I like birds too. I have that in my book. The story about when I was dating the guy and we would go to this restaurant, Birds, and the chicken and the sauces were so good. But then, and I thought I was falling in love. But then we went, so we went to that restaurant twice on two dates. But then for the third date, we didn't, we went to a different restaurant. And I was like, oh, interesting. I don't have that feeling of love anymore. And I realized I just love chicken. <laughs> mm. You know, I was wondering too, because there's a scene in I Love That For You, when your character and Vanessa Bayer's character are enjoying chicken. Are you going to finish that chicken leg? Mm. I think there's mostly cartilage. No, there's meat on there. And I was wondering if that was at all inspired by your real life. No, that was actually already written in there. And yeah, and people like that line where it's like, there's still more meat on the bone. That's all Vanessa. That's probably Vanessa likes chicken too. We both love good food and we talk about it and stuff. But and I used to sometimes after auditions, if I had like a bad audition when I was a struggling actress, I would be like, uh, so much rejection. And I would go to Gelson's and get a half a chicken. <laughs> go side of ranch. When I worked at Cravings, I used to go to um, Ben Frank's after a shift at like 1130. I'd be tired after hostessing, hostessing and I would just sit and get half a chicken side of ranch, French fries, and just, I, I love chicken. I truly do love chicken. Chicken's good and I just appreciate discourse about chicken and I was very glad to see that included in your book. Speaking of food, I wanted to bring in our first guest, uh, one of your former White Lotus co-stars. Hey Molly, it's Coolidge. Uh, hey, I love your book. I love your book. Congratulations on on the whole world falling in love with it too. Um, I just want to say, I, I want to tell you something funny. I, I uh, saw Aubrey Plaza on Sunday and um, we were sitting in this restaurant and she ordered this pastry for me and it landed in front of me and uh, it was called a millefeuilleur and I bit into it and I just couldn't believe how great it tasted and she said, oh, your response to it is nothing, Jennifer. When I was doing a movie in Italy with Molly Shannon, she had the greatest response of all time and I hope you... Uh, you recount the story on Evan's podcast today and for all his listeners. Uh, the story's hilarious. I love Jennifer so much and I know she loves you so much, Evan. She's truly like, I don't know why I feel like choked up. She's the nicest person and I'm so happy for her success. She's so talented. I mean, she destroyed in that part, didn't she? I want you to get out of there and save yourself because I'm just like a... I'm like a dead end, you know, that just has a trap door. And I think you should get out. She is one of the funniest girls, but she is the kindest, most thoughtful. She's very intellectual. She doesn't miss a trick. She just, oh my God, in this world. Look at look at Jennifer. We're talking about people who just finally like come into their own. She's just like truly one of the greats. I couldn't help but see a parallel between the two of you and your relationship with Mike White. That, oh yeah, Mike White, he's just so great. You both have this trajectory as being friends and frequent collaborators with Mike White. There's a lot of parallels between the two of you. Well, Mike is so good because he can write for us. It's like, it's, it's like, look, we were always there. 
Hi, it's me, Evan of the future. I actually wanted to step in real quick because I don't think I properly contextualized who Mike White is and why he is so important to me. Mike is a writer, actor, and producer who is perhaps best known for his film School of Rock, but he also wrote on some of my favorite TV shows growing up, including Dawson's Creek and Freaks and Geeks, and he created the cult classic television series Enlightened with Laura Dern. He famously appeared on two seasons of The Amazing Race and, perhaps most relevant to me, appeared as a runner-up on season 37 of Survivor. His directorial film debut, Year of the Dog, was released in 2007 and starred the great Molly Shannon. He also cast both Molly Shannon and Jennifer Coolidge in HBO's The White Lotus. Here is a clip from that. I basically flew here just because I did the booking and I felt like I had failed my only son and his new bride. Oh. Can I get a latte, please? No foam? No foam latte. Great. Thank you. He knows what to do and not everybody can do that. That's just Mike White's special skill. He's truly brilliant. But yeah, I just have to say, Jennifer Coolidge and I had so much fun filming White Lotus. My kids, Stella and Nolan, were with me. We, we got to film at the Four Seasons in Maui. And Jennifer and I would go out for dinner every night and burgers and margaritas. And we just had the time of our lives shooting that. And um, Jennifer is exactly as you would think, as you might think. She's like just the best dinner companion and curious and just, I'm just so happy for her. Now, do you remember the pastry that she is describing in that question? Yes, Aubrey Plaza and um, her now husband, Jeff Baina and John C. Riley were shooting The Little Hours in Italy. And they had this really good cake. It was like a layered strawberry cream cake. And we would have long lunch breaks because it was Italian hour. So we don't, you would do, I think we took like two hour lunches. We'd have these extravagant lunches because that's what they do in Italy. And they have, you know, and they served this delicious layered cake and it was so delicious. And we were shooting at like a convent, an old rundown convent, and it was on hills and in grass. And it was the most delicious layered strawberry cream cake I've ever had in my life. I took a bite and I was like, and I did flips and spins and I was just trying to make them laugh. I was just in a silly mood. And we were in these like, you know, nun outfits. And uh, I went sprinting around talking about how good it was that it was so delicious. And then I like, I guess to them, it looked like I fell off the cliff because I just disappeared out of sight and went down and they were like, they were dying laughing. And so, so that they just like, I, it was just to make kind of to make them laugh, but it was the most delicious cake I've ever had in my life. I love that. I mean, may we all have a cake that good at one point in our lives. I want to ask you about Mike White. I am a huge Mike White fan, like many, um, both of his writing and directing, but also his time on Survivor. I'm wondering if you've watched Mike White on Survivor. Yeah, I watched the whole thing and it was incredible. And, um, you know, I, I basically feel like he almost won, don't, don't you think? Oh yeah, he was very, very close. Well, Mike said an interesting thing to me. He goes, oh, Molly, Survivor's a lot like Hollywood. It's like the psychological game of figuring out like, okay, that's my enemy, keep your enemy close. I got, he just said it's, he, he compared it a lot to Hollywood and figuring out the players and how to run it. It's more a psychological game. I think that's what he said. Before we get into more, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor. 
Can we talk about Sunday Riley? Not only is it the name of not one, but two of my favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters, it also just so happens to be one of my favorite skincare brands. Sunday Riley uses advanced, clinically proven ingredients blended with balancing botanicals for non-irritating, fast-acting formulas. Just because the end of times might be near doesn't mean you can't have great skin. Some of my current obsessions include their global best-selling Good Genes All-in-One Lactic Acid Treatment, CEO 15% Vitamin C Brightening Serum, and their Autocorrect Brightening and Depuffing Eye Contour Cream. As a person with notoriously puffy eyes, the last one is a really saving grace. If you want to visibly improve the look and feel of your skin, look no further than Sunday Riley. Sunday Riley is available at Sephora and Sephora.com. And we're back. I want to ask you about your father, who I know you've spoken about, I mean, at length in the book and obviously in, on the rounds that you've been doing lately. I was greatly impacted by your father's story. Um, he felt so fully realized to me in this book. It's a testament to you, your memory and your writing that you were able to flesh him out to be so nuanced. I mean, I just went... I learned so much about this human being and I fell in love with him. And I, I've never, obviously I've never met him, but I feel like you just portrayed him with such a love and you really portrayed his complexities, his shortcomings as a father, but also the gifts he gave you. One of which being the freedom to be yourself. You write, quote, a lot of my childhood was spent listening to my dad talking about how he had lost his wife, not how he had lost our mom, how he had lost his wife. And yet my dad also gave me a kind of freedom few other girls had. As a young girl, there was no pressure to act ladylike. I could just be completely myself. And I just, I love that he gave you that. He really did. He, when I had holes in my kids, he would go, that's good that you have holes. It shows that you have character. And he also would say stuff to me, like, you know, when I was struggling in Hollywood, I'd say, oh, daddy, you know, it's so hard in LA. I'm not blonde and beautiful. I'm never going to make it. And he goes, that's a bad attitude, Molly. He goes, listen, that's not a good, he goes, this is what you got to do. You got to go into those offices of those, those agents and managers and put on your high heels and doll yourself up and you march in there and you say to those agents and managers, hey, hold the phone. I got talent and use your singing voice. And I, I did really, you know, use his advice and, and, um, I, I, my first audition with a manager was Barbara Jarrett. And I took my dad's advice. She was a big New York City talent manager who represented Jerry O'Connell and Stand By Me. And I went into her office and I sang Chicago by Judy Garland for my audition. I was like, Chicago, Chicago. And she started clicking her hands. And I, I jumped on the desk and that title in town. And she was like, you got it, kid. And that's how I got signed. Um, but yes, my dad was, you know, he, he was a real original. And um, to go back to your thing about what you were saying about the accident, we had a time in Palm Beach where I, I had gone through a breakup and we were on this vacation in Boca and I got, we just got in a fight about something. And I remember I did confront him about the accident. I said, you know, you talk about how you lost your you lost your wife. I said, we lost our mom, you know, and I must've been, I was probably like 33. And I, you know, you don't want to talk about that so hard. And he said, he goes, Molly, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about that accident, that I don't think about them. And it shattered my heart, Evan. I was like, and it really brought us so much closer and because you know you don't want to talk about that and I, I i never blamed him you know he didn't mean for that to happen but 
my dad was very open, you know, and so I appreciated how open he was and you could talk about anything and ask him anything. And I do share this in the book too. When I was working at Cravings, um, I was doing my stage show, The Rob and Molly Show, and I was doing Sally O'Malley in that show. And I met a woman who was a customer. She was an Irish Catholic mother of five. And I said, oh, you gotta come see my stage show. And she came and I was so excited that she was coming because we struck up a friendship at the restaurant. And then she came back like a week later and I said, what do you think of the show? And she said, oh, that character, Sally O'Malley was disgusting. That was so body with you pulling up your pants and you know, the camel toe. And I was like, ooh, I felt like it was, it was shocking to me because, because I thought, God, she's so critical. And I thought, oh my God, imagine if I had some mother like this, some like conservative Catholic mother who made me feel like ashamed. And whereas my dad was like, that's my Molly. He was so proud of me. Like I could do anything on SNL and he loved it. He never, it was like anything goes. So it, it gave me a great freedom as a performer. Which, as you mentioned, it's just the the value of that, the and the lessons it instills in you, both as a performer but as a human being. There's a, as you portray, sort of a lack of judgment that he gave to you, and it seems like the the people in your ether, and and by pro, I'm sure by proxy the people in his ether, it's a it gives you permission to be yourself in a way that you might not even know, not you, Molly, but anybody, uh, how much it affects you when someone allows you to be yourself wholly without judgment. The possibilities that that brings about. I mean, sometimes he'd make us dress up for church and he'd go, no, I don't like that outfit. He wanted us dialed up. We were like the show ponies. He bought us mink coats. So he definitely liked us to look good in church and sometimes it would make me change. But that was pretty much the only thing. As far as performing goes, it was like anything goes. And I think it was also because my dad was uh, wanted to be an actor himself. He would have loved to have gone to the Cleveland Playhouse and been an actor, but he didn't have the confidence. So in a lot of ways, I went and kind of did that for him and gave him access to that world of meeting Marcy Klein and Calvin Klein and Lauren Michaels and Adam Sandler. He loved it. I kind of like made his dreams come true. Well, and how incredible that they too loved him. It wasn't just that he got to meet them. They were afforded the opportunity to meet and fall in love with your father in return. Now you describe your father's coming out. You say that you don't use the word, well, you use the word gay. You also use the word bisexual, which I think is so remarkable because you say you didn't know for sure. And you don't want to ascribe a label on him that might not have fit him. And I just love that. Again, speaking about the care that you gave this book. I love that. And you talk about that coming out moment. And I think many people, if they were in a similar position, might be alarmed by this info, thrown for a loop, or just unsure of how to feel. But you describe that feeling as not only being relieved, but finding a joy in it. You were so happy that he was able to express this aspect of who he was. I'm just wondering what compelled you to, to just, again, it goes, I guess it goes back to the lack of judgment. You didn't judge him at all. No, thanks, Evan. I felt so happy. It kind of, when he told me, well, my dad had been talking to my manager, Stephen Levy, who, and Stephen Levy, my manager is openly gay. And Stephen Levy had lost his dad when he was a kid. So he, he my father became kind of a surrogate father. They got really close. So, so Stephen kind of helped my dad come out and he goes, Jim, I think you're gay. And they would have these phone conversations. My dad goes, oh gosh, you're right. And then my dad was a struggling uh, he 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 found AA, but he was a, a an alcoholic and struggled. But he had many many years of sobriety and this and that. But he had showed up at my last SNL. He was drinking because I think he had cancer and wasn't telling me. And I got kind of mad and and um, 
I called Steve and I was like, oh, I'm so mad because this is my last SNL and kind of stressed out and he was drunk. And, you know, Steven said, oh, you're being too hard on him. He's given up so much for you girls. And I go, what are you saying? And he kept saying that he's given up. I go, are you saying he's gay? He was like, he's going to tell you, he's going to tell you. But anyhow, I, I have to tell you, I was like, what? And, you know, I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand, well, didn't you know, isn't it obvious or this, that? But no, I don't know why. If my dad dated women. He had relationships with, with women, you know, was going to marry some women. He So he was maybe bi or gay. But but I guess when he told me that, I was like, Ugh. it made all the pieces come together of sometimes if he got angry or, or if he drank too much or I just felt compassion. I was like, oh my God, uh, I wish I felt like my heart opened through a thousand sizes. Like it was like, it made the pieces all fit together. And I felt deep love and like, oh my God, I just, I felt such love for him. I love my father. And I was waiting for him to come out to me. And Stephen's like, he's going to tell you, he's going to tell you. But he didn't, he didn't tell me that trip. He, he waited a couple weeks and I was like, when's he going to tell me? So then I invited him out to, to say, I was doing a press run, I think for serendipity. So I invited him to the Four Seasons and we're, we're sitting by the, the pool. Uh, first we had Cobb salads and we had our robes and we were having the best time. And of course, stone sober and everything. And then I just was like, he's not telling me. So I was just brave. And I just asked him by the pool. I was like, have you ever thought, thought you might be gay? And he was 72 dying of cancer and he said most definitely and I was like hey, what did he just say oh my god did he just say most definitely oh my god like I'm oh my head's racing and then we drove to Ojai for 72 hours and talked about everything under the sun and I so I, I was able to ask him any question like did you tell mommy and he goes I tried to tell her he said I went to a psych psychiatrist and he said the psychiatrist told me I'm a latent homosexual and she it must have been hard for her to hear because they had three kids she goes oh I don't know if he should have told you that and and then he talked about how he knew when he was in eighth grade because he they would go on double dates he and his friend with girls but he would look at the boys and he liked the way they held their cigarettes basically I asked him any question I wanted and he told me everything so I just was excited for him and I, it was kind of like the movie Beginners where I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting because he's going to fall in love and this is so exciting. And, and I had a big gay life plan for my dad and, and I asked him anything like, did you get action? And he was like, yes. You know, sometimes I would get, you know, low jobs and truck stops. I was like, wonderful. I love cheering that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, to me, that's one, I was so happy, you know, I, I, and then Stephen told me that he had sent my dad gay porn. And I was like, oh, wonderful. <laughs> I loved hearing it. It was joyful. And, um, and, and um, you know, I just so happy that he was able to tell me. And Evan, it was interesting. So we just had the time of our life on this trip to Ohio. I mean, that, and, and he was dying. So I was trying to get him together with all my friends in LA. Like we got to see everybody for dinner. Uh, let's see, you know, so we're making plans with everyone. And he was kind of tired, a little sick. And then, you know, after, and then we drove to Ojai and we went to Carol's diner and talked more, just, just my dad and me. And then we saw my friend Allison, but at the end of that Ojai trip, he goes, you know what? He goes, you know, my favorite part of the trip was just talking to you. I just want to be with you and talk to you. And, and then it was so beautiful because shortly after that, he, uh, I had left SNL, then he, um, he didn't bring it up again. And I didn't want to bring it up because it was new information that he told me that he's gay or bi. 
And so we had a phone call and he just wanted to tell me, he goes, you know, I just wanted to tell you, you know, the best thing I ever did was have you girls. I love being a father. And I go, oh yeah, of course. He didn't want me to think that, that he regretted that. And I go, yes, I understand. But I didn't want to bring up, I didn't want to bring up uh, him being gay again because I thought, let him lead. I want him to be the one, I'll follow his lead. And he didn't bring it up, but he goes, I just want you to know you're my lucky star. And so, so sweet. And I, this makes me emotional, but I just, I felt so glad he was able to, to come out to me. And um, I think it made him really happy and uh, just able to tell one person or, you know, I, I'm sure Bill knew, but it was a great gift. And he died six, you know, shortly after that, six, six months later, he was dead, you know, and um, it was beautiful. And our neighbor said that, he said, you know, after that conversation, he goes, your dad hung Christmas lights up in the house and the house looks so beautiful. And, you know, um, but Evan, I, I think I, I was in denial that he was dying. I wanted him to, I was like, oh my God, I had a big gay life plan where he's going to go to clubs and he's going to dance and he's going to fall in love. And my head was going so fast and my, my husband said to me, you know, he is old. I don't know, that, that might not happen. And I was like, no, no, I just couldn't accept it. I just went, had so many plans for him, but he was, I, I, I loved my dad and I admired him. I had deep love and respect for him. You mentioned him putting those lights up and I couldn't help but read that as that you had helped him discover that light. There was such a metaphor there for me in terms of that light coming on both inside his house, but the light inside of him. Um, I know he loved Judy Garland and, and you love Judy Garland too. And I'm wondering, did you too have a favorite song or is there a Judy Garland song that reminds you the most of your dad? Um, probably Somewhere Over the Rainbow. like the live concert version. My dad was obsessed with Judy Garland. And then probably like, he, we played the Battle Hymn of the Republic at his funeral as he requested. Isn't that so sweet? Yeah. And, and uh, my dad loved uh, uh, a dark Judy, like a glory, glory, hallelujah. You know, like he loved that. Um, where she would just give a show. And, you know, he was always telling stories about her too. And I think I grew up wanting to be a performer like that because my dad idolized her and just thought she was the greatest thing he used to talk about. You know, Molly, she would do concerts where she would sweat so much and, and then she would spray herself with joy perfume to hide the sweat. Isn't that funny? And then um, my dad broke into Elizabeth Taylor's dressing room too. He used to do stuff like in Palm Beach. He sneaked in was like, I know Miss Taylor. And they let him backstage. And, and she was like, have a drink and get out. But I love that sense of mischief. And it seems like one that he certainly passed on to you and all of the people in his orbit. Speaking of Hollywood legends, I wanted to bring in another uh, fan of yours, the Academy Award nominated Sharon Stone. Hi, Molly, it's Sharon. I notice that so many comedians say that comedy comes from pain. For me, comedy comes from staying in the drama until it's funny. I come from an Irish family and we thought everything was funny. And I know that you're Irish too, obviously. And I was wondering for you, does comedy come from the pain or does comedy just come because everything is funny? Thanks, Molly. Oh my God, Sharon Stone! 
I had the same reaction. That's crazy. <laughs> she wrote a great memoir. She did. A fantastic memoir. Um, let's see. I think comedy does come from pain. It does. And it's funny. And that's why I also wanted to write the book. People would always ask that. And I was like, let's give the full backstory. And then it gives it gives the work and the characters like a, a you can place it. Oh, that makes sense. It gives it gives the characters like a depth where you're like, oh, that comes from there. And so yes, I think it does come from pain. And then also that desire to entertain is coming from a place of, you know. I did a live event last night in LA with John C. Riley for my book. I get like, I have a fear of disappointing people I, because, because my mom died when I was a kid and I felt like, oh, she must've left because I'm bad or I'm defective. So of course that drives you into show business. Are you kidding? It, it gives you that drive of like, you know, wanting to make them stay and entertain and do backflips to keep them, you know, and wanting to be funny or, you know, so I think that, I think if that all had not happened, I don't know if I would have gone into this business. I don't know. I think because that happened, it made me kind of prime for show business. You know, what do you think? What do you think? I, I couldn't help but think about the fact that so many of the comedians that I love are also such great dramatic actors. I mean, I think about Jim Carrey, for instance, and you know, often comedians will go into a dramatic role and people will be like, I can't believe they're so good in this role. But I've always been of the mindset of like, of course they're good at drama. Or in your book, you talk about the fact that so many comedians are great singers. And I couldn't, I was thinking about Anna Gasteyer and when she first did Wicked and everyone was like, oh my God, I can't believe Anna Gasteyer can sing. And it's like, of course Anna Gasteyer can sing. This makes so much sense. She's so rhythmic. So yeah, I, I definitely, it all computes. I want to read you one other quote that, I'll take a lot away from this book, but this was the quote for me. I dog tagged it, I highlighted it, and I wanted to read it to you now. Um, you write, I try not to buy into the feeling that I don't measure up. To me, that's an old childhood pattern. Hollywood can sometimes make you feel like you're never enough with its ups and downs, but I try hard to enjoy life on earth as an artist. It makes me feel good when people come up to me and say, you make me so happy, you make us laugh. That's what it's all about, making people feel good. It's not about yourself. I like to think about what movies and storytelling do for people and how you can make people forget their troubles. I like the extension of myself. You can show an audience how a character is feeling. They are with you. And then maybe they can understand a part of themselves through the character or the performance. And I'm wondering, I love that quote. <laughs> I love that quote. And I'm wondering, did you realize that this book could be that for people? No, I did not. I did not. I was so scared. I felt it was hard to write it. I was like, nobody's going to care about this. My husband was like, you should write a book, definitely. But but it wasn't like I had all these people clamoring, like, you need to write a book. I really kind of pushed myself and had to push through my embarrassment, like that nobody's going to care. This is so stupid. And But I wanted to be brave and just do it. Life is short. You never know how long you have. And this whole pattern of like that you're never enough, it's so exhausting. I don't want to live that way. It's like, it's like you're doing what you love. I'm doing what I love. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, just enjoy where you are. Don't compare. You're an artist. You know how many people are afraid to do what you're doing and live the life that you're doing. And we're talking and this is creative and we're in the arts, baby. And we're like having this conversation that's stimulating and intellectual and funny and thought provoking. And like, this is it. 
here we are now. And like, I just think it's like, um, I feel grateful for health. I don't take, I don't take that for granted, like being alive. And I do feel like, why all this pressure to have to be the best? Why not just enjoy your creative life and don't compare and just be, stop looking to think that somebody has some, some perfect life that you're not living. Like just be embraced in your own life. Nobody's living some perfect life. And then the whole pattern of, of never feeling like you're enough or, you know, I did see friends of mine who got super famous and maybe they only felt as good as their last movie. And when I saw them being like that, I'm like, oh my God, you feel insecure? That's terrible. Like, and that can be the fear of the town. So I try not to buy into that. What's, it's just no good. Where does that get you? It's no good. And I think, I think this book is going to give a lot of people permission to uh, unlock things about themselves that they previously didn't. So I, I, I can't say how good this book is, but that's one of, one of the many quotes. I mean, I, if I could show you how many quotes I have dog tagged. Anyway, let's talk about SNL briefly. You mentioned in the book how you sort of took on this role in your later time on the show as sort of an ambassador to many of the musical guests. You would go and approach them, you'd go up, you'd introduce yourself because you realized that just as you might be nervous to meet them, they were nervous to be on SNL. This was a big gig for them. Are there any musical guests that stand out for you in terms of having a really memorable or, or heartwarming interaction? Yes. Um, well, to answer your question, Evan, yeah, I didn't figure that out to go up to introduce myself to the bands till like, it was like my last two or three years. And I thought, God, I wish I would have done this all along because they loved it. And, you know, they would be like, oh my gosh, so nice to meet you, Molly. And a lot of these musicians are big comedy fans. Um, you know, Dave Grohl, they're obsessed with comedy. They all... Um, but I think my greatest moment was Bono from U2. He's from Ireland, he's Irish, and he just blew the roof off the house playing. I mean, it was like, you know, crazy. Just, he's so talented and he's incredibly nice. And I, I think I, I forget if I did a joyologist or some sketch and he comes walking up to me and it feels like, like a parting of the waves. I was like, oh my God, it's Bono. Oh my God, this is crazy. And he was like, Molly, that was so good. And he, excellent performance, we're, we're in hysterics, you know. And I, I, I felt, I, could, I couldn't believe it, you know. And then I had um, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. That was a joyologist too. And he came walking off and he was like, eh, not your best. <laughs> I don't know if I put that in the book. Maybe I took that out of the book because I never want to be snide or anything, but he did. He was like, not your best. And I was like, he was right, actually. Billy Corgan's correct. It was not my best. But isn't that funny? But at least he knew the character. He knew the he knew the character. So I was like, oh, yeah. Right. It's a it's not an insult per se, because he's basically saying that you weren't doing what you're capable of doing. So I guess it's it could be interpreted as something of a positive, maybe. But I love that you you seized on that opportunity to watch these people and to make an introduction. And I, I I feel I feel spiritually connected to you in so many senses, but I try and live my life similarly where I want to meet people, I want to have interactions, I want to take advantage of the opportunities that life presents. Well, you are like that. And that takes that takes bravery too, because you know, it's like maybe you'll never get that moment again. Like sometimes I think, oh my God, there's so-and-so. I should just be brave and go up. Cause you that may never happen again in your life. 
So yeah, and people are usually pretty flattered if you go up and, right? They often really are. And I have to say, it's like, you know, we were talking about Coolidge earlier, but forming this friendship with her, which began sort of, you know, I began as a fan and then and then we, it's, you know, grown into this friendship. It's so meaningful to me getting to know this person who I once admired uh, with, with this distance. And as the proximity changes, it's just like, I care about her so much. I, I am really protective of her in a way that I never knew I could be because I knew her as being this person on the screen. But now she's the person that I text and say, hey, Molly Shannon's coming on my podcast. Will you record a question? And I, 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 I love that life. That's how life happens. And you have to seize on it. Can't get enough of Shut Up, Evan? I don't blame you. That's why you have to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash shutupevan, where you will be able to find advanced access to interviews, bonus episodes, video clips from the interviews, cut for time questions, and so much more. You don't want to miss out. I am fully committing to making the Patreon a much more robust experience for season three. So again, www do people say you know www.patreon.com forward slash shut up evan i want to ask about sex in the city you appeared in three episodes on the show i'm having a cosmopolitan with the woman who wrote about cosmopolitans now if only i could find a man (laughs) trouble finding a man have you ever considered writing about that oh that's a great idea let me get a pen I love you and Amy Sedaris on the show. And I'm wondering, do you have a favorite Sex in the City episode or plot line? I love when Carrie farts in bed in season one. I think it is just quintessential Sex in the City and really often, not often, not regarded often enough. Um, do you have a favorite moment from the show? I think, um, can we go back to that? Because I don't want to waste your time. But I, I do, I do want to say one thing. Sarah Jessica, when we were shooting Divorce, I was like, do you want to go out for dinner tonight? And she was like, oh, okay. I go, yeah, let's get the couple people to go for dinner. And we went and sat outside at this Italian restaurant in the West Village and Sarah Jessica ordered a Cosmopolitan. And I was like, this is so cool. I was like, this is just like Sex in the City. And I, I still wanted to bump into somebody I knew because I was with SJ on the street drinking Cosmopolitans. It was the greatest. But I have to say when Amy Sedaris and I did that, that I was such a Sex in the City fan, Evan, that I, I actually felt like a fan from Ohio that won a part on a TV show. I was so starstruck being in a scene with Sarah Jessica. She remember had her lines in the purse and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. I felt distracted. I was just, I couldn't believe I was on that show. Some of the actresses that are on and just like that have expressed a very similar sentiment of like the surrealness of being within the thing that you want. It goes back to the Coolidge thing I was just saying, being a part of a thing that you spent so much time admiring and realizing you are a part of it. Um, I want to talk about the other two. I love the other two. I mean, who doesn't love the other two? And I wanted to bring in one of your other two co-stars into the conversation. Hi, Molly. It's your daughter, Helena York. Um, I'm going to be a mom in June, and I'm really nervous about it. (laughs) Um, But our chats and your encouragement are just always in the back of my mind as I think about what's to come. Your kids, Stella and Nolan, are just so lucky to have you as their mom. So my question for you is, how did becoming a mom most affect your work as an actress and comedian? Did your priorities or perspective shift? I love that. Well, yes, because I think it made the work more meaningful because everything's like about them. Like if you make money, it's like to help pay for them. And, and it makes, it makes the work. And then but, but what's interesting too, is that 
is that I ha well, I have this in the book actually. I think because I do love my work and I'm inspired and happy, it makes me a happier mother, you know? And so I would say to the kids, like, do I seem happy or do I seem stressed out? And they're like, you seem happy. But so I feel like it makes me a good mom because, and I feel like it's not easy to do both. It's hard, it's a balancing act, it's not easy, but I feel like um, it. it it, it makes me a happier mother because I have work that I love. And then I'm also like, I'm a mom and, and it's just, it, it's great. I want to ask you about uh, other people and just for context sake, other people is a film about a struggling writer who's played by Jesse Plemons, who moves back to Sacramento to help his sick mother played by you. It's such a good movie. And I'm wondering when you watched the movie and saw the last five minutes, I could cry even talking about it, and saw the last five minutes of that film. And, you know, you have that last scene with Jesse Plemons and then your character dies. I used to be so scared you'd all forget about me. But I walk by the pictures of the three of you and I, I see me in each of you. But the family lives on and Jesse Plemons' character finally is able to go into the bedroom, sleep next to his sisters, look them in the eyes and see them and then see you in them. I'm wondering what it was like for you as an audience member, like you watching that scene. Uh, that was so beautiful. I, 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 I love that. That was such a special movie and it's so close to Chris's heart and just to honor his mother's life and play her you know, he, he wrote that about his, his own, losing his own mother to cancer. Um, it just, I, I think it was very emotional, you know, and, and Maude Apatow plays my daughter. She was incredible. Madison Beatty, a great actress, Beatty or Beatty, however you pronounce it. She played my daughter too. She was so good. I want to name the whole cast, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll feel like I'll leave somebody out. But um, it was, very emotional. Reading the script was emotional. When I read that script, it lifts off the page. I was so emotional, just the way he writes. And, uh, you know, when she's, when Jesse Plemons' character says she's dying and he knows it, and he goes, mom, I want to, I want to do everything with you. I want to take you all around the world. And she's like, I get to see my whole world at dinner tonight, meaning her kids. And it was just so beautifully written. I love that movie so much. And don't you love like the John Early monologues? Oh my God. So good. You know, fun fact, I went to college with John Early. And so it's funny. Yes. So all three of us went to NYU and it's funny because watching John's career become what it has and we saw that in him all along. This was always the path. But yes, I love him in that movie. He's so good. It's just such perfect casting throughout June Squibb. I mean, so many great performances. I encourage anyone listening who hasn't seen it. Um, it is a must-see. And your performance, oh my God. Um, shifting a little bit as we wind down, I know you are a big fan of The Real Housewives. I know you are friends with Shannon Bedore. You have this run-in in the airport. I love seeing your comments on her Instagram page. Is there anything that you like take away from Housewives? I always feel like, yes, it's a show about 
women misbehaving, but there's a lot more heart to it. And a lot of these women are mothers and you get to see these women who love their kids fiercely and ferociously. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you glean from the series outside of just entertainment. My husband once said something interesting. He goes, it almost seems like the way women love that show, it reminds me of like the way maybe straight guys watch like a fight. Like they're like, whose side are you on? And what do you think of Heather Dubrow? And what do you think? You know, it's really, it's, I I love the franchise and what they've done. It's it's replaced comedy in a lot of ways. I feel like most comedy women I know watch reality for their comedy. Yes, everyone is always talking about housewives. When they go on Watch What Happens Live and I see a comedian I love, they're always like, Andy, what's going on with this person and that person? Because we're all watching it. I find it really interesting. Um, I love Shannon Bedore. I, I do know her. I actually met her at an airport and I was so starstruck, Evan. I mean, it was like seeing Meryl Streep or something. And then she was everything you'd want her to be and more. She's lovely and nice. And she's really good on the show, I think, because she's very genuine. It doesn't seem like she has an agenda. She's very much herself. I mean, they really offer up their private lives, it's fascinating. I mean, that has to be so vulnerable. And, um, but no, I just, and Vanderpump Rules, I mean, it's a brilliant show. These shows are well, well done. What Andy Cohen has done with, with these shows is truly incredible. So I consider the shows a gift from God. I love those shows. I just am grateful that we're talking about uh, Meryl Streep and Shannon Bedore in the same sentence. I think we need to remake The Hours with Shannon Bedore or potentially Julia and Julia, but um, I, I really like this thought pattern. And don't you, I love when Shannon Bedore dresses up as like rock star. She always does like, the mustache. I mean, she is the funniest. Yeah, she's so great. I love the reunions. And I have a, a girlfriend who says when she sees like two in her, you know, save that have been recorded, she squeals in delight. Like, I have two. I have two. I get it. I get it. And you know what? It's funny watching the reunions have really become performance art. I mean, I know they were parodied on SNL several times, but it makes sense. They're so ripe because there's so much going on, the glamor of it all, and the idea that these women come in with an agenda now. It's like they have business to address, and, and this is like sort of the ring. And it's like they are here to deliver the goods. They It's like they go, it's a checklist, and it's like I need to confront you about this and you about that, and I love it. I know, me too. Get out the receipts and um, get out the text. Um, and what's interesting about them too, watching them on Andy Cohen's show is if he asks them their opinion, they say the truth. They don't, it's not like Hollywood actors and actresses that they won't really say what's going on. But these, these ladies will be like, I'm really mad at her. And, you know, I tried to text her, but she has not responded back. They really get down and dirty and it's, they'll answer any question, you know? There's like nothing off limits. I completely agree. Before I let you go, I have one last question. This is not a famous person, but I think it is a voice that you might recognize. Hi, Mama, it's Stella. I'm here to surprise you because Evan reached out to me and asked me to ask you a question. And I've been thinking about how I would love to go on a trip with you this summer. So my question for you is, what is your next dream destination, dream place to travel to? Where do you want to go? Evan, you are the best. I can't believe you got my daughter, Stella. I had to. I felt like I knew her after reading the book. You know, I'm really hard to surprise. And that is a crazy 
big, maybe the most surprised I've ever been in my entire life. And I just want to thank you. Oh my God, my pleasure. I feel like I'm like dreaming. Oh, my Stella. Okay, dream vacation. Well, we, I, I, Maui never disappoints. I have white lotus in me. I'm a white lotus lady at heart and I just love Maui and Hawaii. So I feel like um, I need to get back there. That's what I want to do. I've been busy doing a lot of press and I'm like, I need to be in the salt water uh, and just have some fun in Maui or maybe Japan. I think I would like to go back to Japan, Tokyo, Kyoto, um, or also Spain. I want to go to bigger Spain. So one of one of those places, maybe. Well, it sounds like she wants to go with you. Do you guys do like regular vacations together? Oh, she's going, we're going on a family vacation and we're going to go to one of those places. Um, and it's done, Miss Stella Chestnut. Yeah, she knows. We're, we're going to go soon, actually. She has to... Um, finish school and then we're going we're all the whole family is going on vacation love it let me ask you one last question before I let you go what is it like for you to see um, the way people are responding to this book it's not just that people like it you've made people feel something and I think that's such a gift it's it's a it's a it permeates people's souls, this book. It awakens them. I mean, I, I keep quoting back, we are alive. I say it to my boyfriend all the time now. And and I've learned from you. It's like, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff either because Molly Shannon does it, so I'm not. And I'm just wondering what it's like for you to realize that that your story is like, it's shaking us. We're, we're, we're alive. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Um, that makes me feel so good. And it feels very vulnerable to write that, but I do... I do think that I'm like, we just, just if you're healthy, it's so much to be grateful for. And, you know, you know, having a, your boyfriend, there's just so much, it's, it's so much better if you can focus on the positive and what's working. It just, I don't know. That makes me feel so good. Evan, I love that people think about that. And I, I I'm glad that I said that it makes me feel vulnerable sharing how I do really think but um, I think also when you, I lost a really good mom friend not too long ago, actually when I was shooting other people to cancer and I, I, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I, I would go see her at Cedars and she's like a young mom fighting for her life. And I was just like, oh my God, there's nothing to complain about. Like life is a gift. You know, she was living scan to scan, like please cross your fingers, Molly. So I guess losing my mom at a young age and then the car accident and then seeing friends have their life cut short. I get like, I, I try to be grateful. It comes across. I want to thank you for your time. I can't believe that I can't believe that an hour of Molly Shannon's life will have been spent with me. That is the greatest gift ever. I, I just, I thank you infinitely for this book. And uh, I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. I can't wait. Thank you. I mean, this was such a pleasure. I'm so glad we got to do this. And gosh, did you surprise me? Stella Shannon, Chestnut, Sharon Stone, Jennifer Coolidge, Helena York. This was just, un I loved it so much. But everyone says yes to you. So it's like, I can go to people like Sharon Stone and get an answer. It's like, that's because people want the opportunity to chat with you. I mean, Jennifer is filming White Lotus 2 right now, but she was like, sure, I can step out and record this because people love you. Thank you so much, Evan. This was so fun. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. Yeah, really good. You are like, <laughs> like you go, you go item to item to item to item. Like you, it's like chock full of magic. Thank you. All right, have a great rest of your day. Okay, bye, Evan. Bye. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan.
<gasps> Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Oh my God. Shut up, Evan. <laughs> oh my God. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. <gasps> Shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. <laughs> Shut up, Evan. Ooh, that's a good one. Shut Up Evan is produced by me, Evan Ross Katz, with audio editing by Sophia Asmuth and social media by Griffin Dunn. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers for their financial support, and thank you to you all, the listeners, for helping us keep the lights on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.